I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. On this podcast, we like to bring you not only the latest in policy and market developments, but also a peek into the lives of some of the most interesting movers and shakers in the industry. And when it comes to the top, and I mean the very top of interesting, there's just nobody in the world like Adeyemi Ajao. You see, before Mark Zuckerberg rolled to the pinnacle of the tech industry, Adeyemi was in the mix of the battle, going toe-to-toe with scores of firms for our attention on the brand new social media pages of the internet. You see, Adeyemi, the son of a Spanish mother and Nigerian father, had, like so many entrepreneurs of the time, founded a social media company, Twenty, while in school, which, like Facebook, had experienced exponential growth. The young man then, in 2010, sold the company to the Spanish telecom giant Telefonica for $100 million. Now, instead of packing up and heading into early retirement, he then moved from Europe to California where he went to Stanford for more training and then started up multiple ventures, including the big data company Identified, which he sold to Workday in 2014, and Base 10 Partners, one of the largest minority-run Silicon Valley venture funds. Now, he's the go-to guy for people in fintech and tech more generally and has a unique view of the industry and what it means to be an immigrant, European, African, and Black in the country's hotbed of innovation. So it was a pleasure to talk to him at the Washington, D.C. Fintech Week conference that I organized, where we talked about fintech, race, and what it took to succeed as an outsider. I said it's plenty people like me, like me. all outsiders like me. like me, all unashamed and all unafraid to live out what they're supposed to be outside. Ade, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, and the pleasure is mine. So your journey has taken you all over the world, from Africa to Europe and to the United States. How did you get started in fintech? Yes. Uh, so, you know, I, I grew up um, with my early childhood in Lagos. Uh, and then when, when I was about eight years old, we moved to southern Spain. Um, and I, I was, for a lot of reasons, an odd kid. Uh, to begin with, uh, me and my brother were the, the only black kids in, in middle school and high school. Um, so I was already an outsider. And uh, I think that helped me gravitate towards outsider things. Uh, so I started coding uh, when I was, I think, 11 years old and, and tinkering around with, you know, video games that I will do for my brother and we'll play together and things like that. Um, and I kept that during college. Um, and that's where I ended up launching my first company, literally from, from my dorm room after about 30 failed trades at, you know, other products. Um, and the rest is history, as, as we'll say. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, th- that's interesting. Having an outsider perspective or growing up as an outsider helped to sort of shape uh, sort of an outsider perspective. Um, what was it like trying to start a, a company 
in Europe, being an outsider, uh, uh, being clearly a very, a very gifted uh, uh, person, but but just getting started and, and thinking about um, uh, creating a business, what, what was that like? Uh, it was very odd. Um, I went to a very traditional college, Madrid, uh, as a very religious, like uh, actually Jesuit, like Georgetown, uh, but European, where we had like you know priests around the corridors all the time. Um, and there, there were a few that, that had taken a liking on me. And when I told them that I was going to not take my investment banking offer to start a website and run it, uh, I had several of them sat me down and be like, listen, son, like, you know, you know you're like, like the, the first African kid to like graduate from our college. Uh, don't throw it all away. Uh, so it was, it was quite tough. Um, everyone thought we were crazy. Um, when we went to raise money, there was no venture capital industry in Madrid. This is back in 2005. Uh, so we were just literally going to the dads of my richer colored classmates uh, that had made their money in things like construction or real estate. Um, and when we told them, now this is a social network and like, you know, people will like connect with their friends and then we can put advertising uh, they, they will literally like look at us and be like, okay, so you are telling me you want my money to rent an office to run a website. <laughs> and you're from Nigeria again? Is this like some sort of scam? Uh, so we got a lot of that. Uh, but, you know, uh, at some point, someone actually um, uh, searched what Facebook was and they saw that it had just raised money at a $70 million valuation. And they were like, oh my God, these websites can be worth $70 million. Maybe I throw some money at this kid. So how, how long did it take you to, to raise the money? It took us uh, nine months. So we, between the three co-founders, we put all our savings that were the, the best amount of $20,000. Uh, and then we ended up raising an additional 450K. Uh, we gave a third of the company for that. Uh, and it took us, yeah, a little bit short of a year. Wow, that 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 is that is that is really uh, re- remarkable. I mean, at, at what point? And this is I'll transition to the United States, but this is this is a truly interesting story here. I mean, at, at what point? You know, did you did you get a sense um, that 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 this was going to be something uh, uh, successful? And 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 to what degree at that point, given your sort of outsider upbringing? Uh, you know, did you start to think about, okay, this is really going to be something um, special. I, I may want to do something different with this, but if I do, I, it, it may be worthwhile, uh, you know, securing basically a, a, a sale of the company or, 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 or the like. I mean, at what point was your thinking geared towards exit? Yeah, so it, it was about a year in, um, you know, we were doubling um, our traffic every single weekend. Um, and, and it was always, so we, we will get a good night of sleep on Saturdays because on Sundays when people in Madrid will wake up uh, from having gone out the night before, they will upload the pictures. It will be double the size of the pictures of the night before. We will be in the server farm uh, actually uploading, physically uploading new servers so we could support the load. Um, we ended up having more web traffic in Spain than Google and Facebook combined, uh, which was quite daunting. And so I knew from the numbers that it was going well. I just didn't still interiorize that 
it was a real thing, a real company. And the moment it really dawned on me and, and my co-founders um, was actually a Thursday night, I will remember forever. Uh, we were out of the office um, and we went to a bar near the office. It was like 11 p.m. after a long day. Uh, and suddenly we, we saw a group um, of uh, young women with T-shirts that said 20, our website. And we didn't have T-shirts. So we went to the <laughs> And we're like, excuse me. Um, um, and they, they were not very keen to talk to us. We didn't look very nice. And we're, and we're like, excuse me, where did you get this? And we're like, they were like, no, this is a really exclusive social network. We love it. And we made our T-shirts. We can't invite you in. Uh, and I remember all of us being like, this is going to be huge. <laughs> making t-shirts. So you had, you had, um, you had other people wearing your T-shirts of your companies with your traffic doubling. That, that is just extraordinary. I mean, so, so, okay. So, you know, at that point in time, this is going to be a huge company. You're still, you know, a, an immigrant in, 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 in Spain from, from Lagos, uh, you know, you, you end up, I guess a year later uh, or, or, or a, bit, a bit later sort of exiting, you know, selling your, the, the company for a hundred million dollars. Uh, and then you just, uh, you know, at what point did you decide to sort of pick up and, and move to, to Silicon Valley? Yeah, so for, for me, um, I had been thinking about coming to the U.S. Uh, since I was an undergrad. Um, in fact, I, I got accepted to U.S. undergrad, but I couldn't come for family reasons. So it's something that was always in the back of my mind. Um, and I just thought that after doing 20, I had a, a golden opportunity and a platform of, hey, I have already done this in Europe. It was really hard. We had no resources. What could I do? if I'm actually allowed to, you know, start again there. Um, and I remember talking about this with my co-founders. Uh, they were like, no, you're crazy. We've been working like crazy for years. Now we're going back to Southern Spain. It's time to enjoy life. Uh, and I was like, no, no, no. Like, this is, we're only 26. Like, let's do it again. Uh, so I decided that Silicon Valley was a place. Um, I applied to Stanford for my MBA. Um, and I made it very clear on my application. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be able to start a company. That's all I want. <laughs> um, and that's what I did for two years. It was a great opportunity. Um, it was two years of, you know, taking computer science classes, meeting great people. I think I built about 40 different prototypes. Um, and it turned out well because at graduation, I started not one, but two companies uh, basically simultaneously. Um, so that was great. So, you know, our, our, our last sort of panel, uh, really our last two panels, I mean, one was on sort of uh, venture capital post-George Floyd, and then, and then we had um, a, 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 a panel session on not just Coinbase, but really sort of race in, in, in Silicon Valley. And, you know, when you picked up and you decided, uh, I mean, you, you really, many of your formative years, many of them were, were over in Madrid, Spain, in the Catholic Georgetown uh, version of Georgetown, and you get up and, and you move now to, to Silicon Valley. You've gone to Stanford. I mean, culturally, you know, starting a company, you know, how different was it? I mean, certainly now you had much acclaim and success and a, and a, and a Stanford um, degree. Uh, what, but, but what was it like starting uh, companies, um, given your very unique background uh, in, in Silicon Valley? Uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, so, and, and, and it's particularly interesting to look back at it with the perspective I have now, um, because I was incredibly naive. Um, you know, I was 
I was having the time of my life finally being in, in the Stanford campus and meeting other people my age that had done companies and having so many more resources than in Spain, not, not having to explain why a website needed an office. So that was great. Um, and one of the things that struck me pretty early is that Silicon Valley was, uh, venture capital in Silicon Valley was essentially an oligopoly. Um, and the moment I realized this is when one of my classmates that worked in venture offered to introduce me to some of his VC connections to fund my new company. And he took me aside and said, hey, it's 20 people. That's it. This is 2009. It's a very different industry. It's 20 people. And they all talk between each other. So you have to be very careful about who you talk to first and who makes the introduction and what are they going to say. And, I, and I'm like, okay, that sounds a little bit weird. But, uh, and now I realize, yeah, all those 20 people look the same. Uh, and most of them grew up in the Bay Area and they never left the Bay Area. So what was interesting is that I sometimes was talking about a number of things that they didn't really get. And I will get questions like, wait, so, so you manage engineers in Spain, but you know, this is like US engineers, this is like real people. Are you not going to know how to do it? Um, so that was odd. Um, and then when I started spending more time in the community and I saw how homogeneous uh, it truly was, I started seeing the interesting phenomenon that everyone who was not white and male, and that could be Latins, Blacks, et cetera, they will actually seek me out immediately uh, and want to connect, want to talk, want to talk about the companies, want to come and work for us. Our team was incredibly diverse, not thinking back of identified, and we, we didn't plan for it, but we all attracted each other. Uh, and it took me a few years to really zoom out and be like, wait a minute, of course, like this is super homogeneous uh, and it's like a, an, an incestuous club. Uh, so if you are coming from outside, you want to be in the room with people that can actually relate to your perspective from outside. And I find that really useful. So, Well, you know, that is really interesting, right? Because, you know, one of the conversations that we've sort of had uh, over the course of the day is that when you think about fintech, you know, and how consumer facing fintech is, I mean, when you think about whether or not you're designing a, a you know, a, a certain kind of app for for the management of of your um, savings or 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 certain kinds of payment apps or, or the like, or even when it comes to designing new forms of money. I mean, money is the ultimate consumer facing product. You know, it, it's useful to have um, sort of access to people from from different kinds of communities. And 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 one person in an earlier panel, Adrian Harris, had, had sort of observed that many times if you're diverse, um, you know. Black people say sitting on top of a board, it's a little bit easier to be able to identify other kinds of executives and founders and the like. But what you're really sort of honing in on is, is you're able to get sort of a little bit of a pick of, of your human capital, of your team, right? Because you're, you're, you're a little bit different. You know, people are going to think, well, all else being equal, I can be a little bit more, more, more at, at ease perhaps around you. I don't have to explain as much perhaps. Um, and, and I can be assured that there's a lot of diversity in at least some more acceptance. I mean, do you get a sense now that you've gone into, into venture capital that since this oligopoly of 2009, I mean, have other VCs, um, you know, have they started to, to understand and, and to see the issue? 
Um, I, I think there are some real cultural differences um, in, in some ways, uh, as we we're discussing between the East Coast and the West Coast, um, both demographically and also with sort of older line industries on the East Coast and the West Coast, even though the success with many older line industries on the East Coast hasn't been as great, but there's more of a sort of a, an explicit conversation on things like, you know, when you're a recent immigrant or talking about race or talking about gender. I mean, uh, how do you see venture capital as changing and where do you see it not changing? Yeah, it's, it's, that, that is a whole conversation in and of itself. Um, but what, what I would say is the following. Um, the numbers have changed in the sense that, you know, when, when I started in 2009, there were 20 early stage VC firms um, in Sand Hill Road. Today, that number is about a thousand. Uh, so, you know, that's different. Um, and that is good because it breaks the oligopoly. It creates selection pressure. Um, and selection uh, begets transformation, right? So some organizations are feeling that pressure of, well, I can no longer sit in Sand Hill Road and wait for the entrepreneurs that, that will come to me because there are some young, hungry, different people out there uh, and they think differently and they're going to eat my lunch. Um, with that said, with that said, the truth is at the top of the pyramid. If you were to survey most um, Silicon Valley VCs uh, that grew up during that oligopoly period and are still at the helm of their firms, they still have an extremely Silicon Valley view of the world. Um, and you know, to, to give you some examples, I um, did over the past 10 years, uh, four investments in Latin America, um, and all with local entrepreneurs, local Latin American entrepreneurs. Um, I passed uh, those four investments to basically all the early stage Silicon Valley top tier firms. Seeing all but one pass all the time saying over and over, no, you just can't, you know, it's not the same talent, like it's not the same market. Um, one of those companies sold for a billion. Uh, the other three are worth two billion, four billion and 10 billion respectively. Um, and it's still with that, it's still with that. When I send them today, uh, emails with, hey, this is a team that actually spun out of one of those $4 billion companies and they're doing this. They will still be, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really, and, and a lot of that is, is around FinTech in particular. You know, I'm like, hey, um, over the next decade, they're going to be anywhere from 200 to 500 million people in Latin America that are going to create banks accounts. And likely, they're not going to be in a franchise. Like, what, what else do you need to know? It, it, it is extraordinary. I mean, you know, I, I, I too, you know, I, I talk to, to people every day um, at, at, you know, some of the, the, the top VC and, 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 and um, uh, shops and, and corporations and, and the like. And, and it is interesting, you know, trying to think through you, well, your impression on, on how people think about the very notion of, of, of profit, you know, and, and, and kind of doing well. Because, you know, fintech, in order for it to do well, you have to scale, you know, you know, scaling, that's part of the idea. And, and it, it seems to me that uh, part of the opportunity for scaling 
is by accessing or targeting or finding people who are underserved, uh, whether or not it be with, you know, digital identities, onboarding people, creating bank accounts, you know, faster AML, KYC on brand. I mean, you can think of a gazillion things. I mean, why, what do you think is, is and we only have a, a, a minute or so left, but like, what do you think is the primary stumbling block to the VC, even the oligopolists, if they are ultimately looking to maximize their profits? Um, I think it's two things. Um, one, they just don't feel it personally. Like those problems for the majority of them are academic, but they haven't really experienced what that feels like. Um, and two, they are still in a very comfortable position. Like the explosion of competition only really happened in the last five years. So I think it's going to be five years from now when they look back and they're like, oh, wow, people no longer care about my logo. And all these different guys went and, and did a bunch of money uh, investing in, in Latins and Blacks. And wow, maybe I did miss them something. And I think by then it might be too late for them. And I think that will be a very good thing for everyone else. All right. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was fascinating. And, and, I, and I look forward to further conversations in the future. Likewise, my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Some stories can only be made in the USA. But often, when you peek behind the corners, even the made in the USA stories can have international starting points and cross-border journeys. Now, I'm a believer that this ultimately works to America's strategic advantage. In the end, it enriches our conversation as well as the products and thinking that goes on in fintech. But what I really appreciate is that when you get to talk to people like Adeyemi, it raises interesting questions about not just fintech and Silicon Valley, but also about society and how we grow as people and about ourselves. And that, after all, is what business is supposed to be, figuring out how people cooperate in ways that create new and positive social value. And it will be interesting to see how such diversity continues to stir the pot and the degree to which it ends up disrupting the very industry of disruption. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.